You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. Everybody say, not even close. That's our theme for today. We're so excited you're here. Happy Easter. We're so excited to be able to talk with you guys today about this idea of not even close. What does that mean? Well, you know, there are times in our, our life where we are really close, like really, really close. I think of being in earth science in ninth grade, and I did okay in the class, but then the regents came, and I got a 64, and 65 was passing, which meant then, of course, my summer was studying for this. I had to leave a vacation halfway through to come back and take the test. It was just awful. I remember pleading with my teacher, like, just give me that one more point. Like, isn't there something you can do? Like, just give me a point for spelling my name right. She said, Doug, if you had, I would. And I was just so frustrated that there was nothing I could do to kind of sway that. But that was a really, really, really close thing. But today we want to talk about things that aren't even close at all. For example, pizza outside of New York compared to the pizza we have here, not even close. The Star Wars prequel and sequels, not even close to the original. All those book readers are out there are always saying, man, the movie's never even close to as good as the book. Uh, Walmart versus Target, not even close, everybody. Am I right? It all depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a pleasant shopping experience, you go for Target. If you're looking for a near-death experience, you go for Walmart, right? But not even close is what we're going to be talking about here today. And I, I, I have a few thoughts that I think we can all relate to wrestling with. And I want us to learn today how to write over these thoughts, not even close. How we, you know, handle the different things that we're going to see here today really change everything for us if we can get this thought process right. And so I'm going to hear from my first trick today. Yeah, well, show you guys these thoughts. So our performance saves us. Some of us have that mentality. You came into church today. You came to Easter today because maybe you even thought coming would be a part of you doing something good that might get you in God's good graces. Like something you've done this past week or this past month is, is meant to outweigh something you did before then. And it's all about our performance. If I want to go to heaven, if I want a relationship with God, then I have to be good. And so it's performance driven. I don't know if any of you guys do what I do. This is very embarrassing to admit, but you know, we all get on the scale at times and we wish that the scale were a little lower. Well, something that I do pretty frequently is if it's a number that I don't really like, I'll actually just move the scale a little bit, hoping it'll shave like a half pound off. And I think sometimes that's how we approach God. It's like, I'm just going to pick up the scale here, God, of my performance. And though I did this, let me just slide it a little bit this way. And doesn't that make it look a little bit better? And today, I want to talk about if that's true or not. Our performance saves us. Secondly, God can't relate to our suffering. Horrible things happen every day. And where is God? And that's often something that gets in the way of our relationship with him. The pain we feel, the temptation that we walk through, the loss that we experience in life. It's like, God, where are you? Do you even understand what we're feeling? The third thought I want to talk about today is that the battle of Jesus for Satan is close. It's like a close one. Like, is Jesus going to pull this one off? Some of you guys, it's just a barrier to even say those two names. You're like, I don't believe there's a Jesus, or I don't believe there is Satan, or I don't believe there's either of them. And we're going to talk about that here today. Some of you guys are wrestling with this last category. You're like, oh, I know my performance isn't going to save me, so much so that I believe that sin is going to exclude me from a relationship 
with God. Sometimes we find ourselves there. I've heard this phrase many times. Usually around Christmas or Easter, you invite a neighbor or a friend or a coworker to come to, to church, and it's like, oh, if I came in the church, the, the church would catch on fire, right? Somebody's heard you say that before, right? Well, I just want to put everyone at ease. We have hoses ready, okay? I have an awesome sprinkler system in place, should that happen. But think about it. That's a funny way of saying something really sad, isn't it? Like, the, like the, the joke is there, but really it's about the heart of somebody saying, man, I'm just such a mess that God wouldn't even want me. I would be excluded from a relationship with him or even walking in the building. And so today we're going to learn how to write the phrase, not even close, over all four of these thoughts that we can wrestle with. And getting this right is so important. Understanding the truth about these things that can often become a real, hindering, uh, real hindrance to us in our relationship with God is absolutely enormous. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, maybe you're new to church or you haven't been around in a long time or you're watching online, man, we're so thrilled you're here. And I pray today that you'll really understand how much God loves you in the relationship that he wants you to have with him and that these things wouldn't get in the way anymore. So we're going to jump into these four phrases. So our performance saves us. That's the first one we're going to tackle today. Everybody say Paul. All right, so Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Paul was somebody who hated Jesus. Then he encountered Jesus and everything changed. And he writes to the Galatians in chapter 10 of verse, uh, excuse me, verse 10 of chapter 3, for all who rely on the works, our performance, right, are under a curse. So in other words, if you're relying on your performance to save you, you're literally under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So if you say, well, I'm a good person, I can save myself, it's about doing more good than bad. No, what we just saw in that verse is pretty intense. It says that you have to do everything perfectly written in the law if you're going to base it on your own performance. Everybody say everything. Okay, so it's not about a scale that you can tip like, oh, it was, I was doing bad, but now I'm doing good. And God, aren't you impressed now? No, it's literally everything. And you might say, but that's not fair. That's not a fair standard that I'd have to do everything perfectly to be right with God on my own. And I would say back, I understand that, but fair doesn't necessarily make something untrue. Fair or not fair doesn't impact truth, right? I'll give you an example. When I was a teenager, I was a long-haired 80s metal rocker guy. When I was a young college student, I was a long-haired 80s metal rocker guy. And that was the plan. Two guys here at the 11, 1030 service today had their nice man buns going on, the whole thing. And I was like, I'm just so jealous of you because that was the plan. So not fair, but true, everybody, right? It's just the way that it is. Now, some of you are like, Doug, but I don't like the whole not fair, but true thing. Okay, so let's read the rest of Galatians 3 here or into the next verse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Everybody say becoming a curse. Becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus hangs on the wood of the tree and becomes the curse for us. So think about that. Here's you and I, imperfect people under a curse. Here's perfect Jesus who should not be cursed, who becomes cursed so that the cursed people can become his. Amen? Amazing what our Savior has done for us. And so if you think your performance is going to save you, not even close. It's about Jesus and what he's done for you and done for me. Now, everybody, I don't want to brag. It's Easter. I got to, you know, try to just remain humble here. But, but the whole basketball program at the school I grew up in was built on the future of Doug Jansen. When I was like seventh, eighth grade, 
it was all built on me, okay? Don't want to brag a whole lot. Um, you must be going, wow, you, you, you must have been so good. Well, well, so actually, I would walk through the halls and, and hear different chants coming from the different coaches in the hallway about me. It was incredible. And they were encouraging me as I would walk through the hallways. And, and it, it had absolutely nothing to do with me. It was because my father was six foot eight and a basketball star on the high school and college court. And so there was this whole like, you know, grow, 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 you know, just keep growing, you know. And even like up into my 11th grade year, it would still happen because my dad left June of his 11th grade year at six foot two and came back two months later, his senior year at six foot eight. He grew six inches that summer. And so even in like 11th grade, they're like, grow, grow, you know, like keep, you can do it. Even six, four will take, you know, never got there. Not even close. And they're like, oh, well, maybe Doug has ups. Maybe he can really jump, you know, and they're like, Doug, go dunk or even just touch the rim. I'm like swinging for the net, you know, like not even close. So the whole, this idea of building this whole program around Doug Jansen had nothing to do with my performance. It was about someone totally different. That's why I tell you, if you're trying to build your program, if you're trying to think I've got salvation wrapped up because of my good works, man, we all need Jesus. It's all about what he does for us. And so we have to learn to go ahead and write, excuse the handwriting here, not even close over this idea that our performance saves us. The second thing, God can't relate to our suffering. Often we go through really difficult things. And today I look around the room. I know many of you, many of you are new and visiting, visiting today. Amazing. But those of you I know, I know your stories because we do life together, right? And I know some of your suffering. And I'm not trying to minimize your suffering today. I hate that you've gone through what you've gone through and the heartache that you've walked through. But what I do want to do is accentuate Jesus' suffering, okay? Because the truth is we all go, God, where are you? The number one reason people don't believe in God is because of pain and suffering. And we've done whole series, message series, about suffering and, and how we navigate it and where God is. But I just want to give you one thought about it today because my favorite thing or one of my favorite things about Jesus is that he has immersed himself in our suffering. He's immersed himself in it. What God does that? What God humbles himself, becomes one of his creation, learns to walk, wears diapers, Maybe has a crush on a girl, gets his heart broken in elementary school, right? Uh, grows up and has to learn how to work with his hands. Eventually is betrayed and lied about and stabbed in the back and beaten and crucified. What God does that? What God immerses himself like that? Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in 2 verse 17. For this reason, he, everybody say Jesus, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. So let's just stop right there. I've been honest with you guys about the fact that I've struggled with anxiety over the last few years since of what I went through in the hospital a few years ago. My wife uh, has shared, and we've talked about how I went through multi-year depression when we first got married, which that's not a great commercial for marriage, by the way, is it? It's like, everybody should get married, right? Right into a depression. But it had nothing to do with her and it had nothing to do with us. But do you know who I'm really merciful and compassionate toward now because I went through those things? People with anxiety and people who've gone through depression because I've walked there. And so this verse is telling us Jesus can be merciful and faithful to us because he's walked here. He understands what we've gone through. And it says, and he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So not only was he just coming to like relate to us, he was coming to save and rescue us. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being 
tempted. So he's beaten to the point of death on the events of Good Friday. He's spit on, he's punched, his beard is ripped out, he's mocked, he's made fun of, and then he's crucified. And one of his nicknames was the man of suffering. Isaiah says that when they were done with him, he didn't even look like a human anymore on the cross. We just read a few minutes ago that Jesus became a curse for us. And so God 100% gets our suffering. God can't relate to our suffering? That's not even close to true. In fact, you've heard me say this before if you've been around for a while. We get to the point where we can't relate to his suffering. I've never gone through what he's gone through. He's walked through everything I've walked through, but I haven't walked through half of what he's walked through. And so God can relate to our suffering. And so we need to learn to write not even close over this idea that Jesus doesn't get what we've gone through. Number three, the battle of Satan, excuse me, of Jesus versus Satan is a close one. Okay, so think about this. Satan tempts Adam and Eve, okay? He's just two people into the human race, and he's like, I, I did it. I did it. I just took two of them. I took two of them, and I turned them against God, and I win, right? Well, some of you guys are stuck on this name Satan right here. Like, come on, the guy with the pitchfork, right? Like, like that guy, we really take him seriously? Well, a few weeks ago, we did a series where we talked about this in depth. And one of the things I encourage you to do is realize that broken people do broken things to other people, but there are levels of evil that people do that I don't think just come from even a broken person. And the example that we used was the concentration camps in, in World War II, the horrific things that were done there. I don't just think a guy one day or, or a team of people comes up and says, let's just do the most horrific things possible to these people. After one of the earlier services, somebody came up to me and said, I served as a juror on a trial, and the trial was for a horrific murder that took, took place by a gang. And when a picture of the person that was used as evidence went up on the screen, the person who killed them looked at it and smiled. I saw, he said, I literally saw the face of evil. Like, there are broken people, but there's something behind the grossest and the most horrific of it. And so I think this battle is very real. So the question is, but, but who wins? Like, how does this work out? And so Satan's celebrating just two people in, but do you know that God tells us who wins just three chapters into the Bible? Read with me Genesis 3.15, and I'm going to explain some of this as we go if it looks confusing it said, he's talking to Satan. He says, he will crush your head. So in other words, Satan, Jesus, is going to crush your head. And Satan, you will strike his heel. What's God saying here? He's saying Jesus wins right there. There's 1100, over 1,100 chapters in the Bible, and we're just three in, and we already know who's, who wins, right? There's 31,000 verses in the Bible, and then 71 verses in, we know who wins. Sometimes we think we have to get to the Gospels, to the New Testament, to hear who's going to pull this off. And Jesus and the story of God, what's he going to do? No, right there in just the third chapter of the Bible, we have what's called the Proto-Evangelium, which otherwise is known to mean first gospel. It's the first gospel. Right there, we know Jesus is going to do what only Jesus can do. A Savior is coming, and Jesus wins, and it's not even close. This battle right here, the outcome, not even close. We've all seen the times that were close. You know, I think about my daughter playing basketball a few weeks ago, and uh, she was, her team was tied six seconds left, and she hit a three to win the game, and we all went nuts. That was close. That was close, but we all went crazy. I grew some hair back for a minute there. It was like, we just not even, right? And then I think about last year in the playoffs in baseball, the Astros and the Mariners played an 18-inning game, 0-0 until somebody hit a walk-off. And I'm not going to say which team hit the walk-off, but we all hate the Astros. So I'll just you know, throw that out there, right? 
So we know what it is when something's really close. This battle, not even close. What does it mean here that Jesus will crush Satan's head and Satan will strike Jesus' heel? Well, the striking of the heel is really about the events of Good Friday and the week leading up to it. It's about Jesus being arrested And it's about Jesus being beaten and crucified and placed into a grave. And you're like, but that's really horrific stuff. That sounds like a lot bigger deal. If I was describing that, I wouldn't just say that's like somebody bruising my heel. That sounds pretty catastrophic. But then we see that Jesus crushed the head of the enemy. In comparison to that, what Satan did to Jesus was like a little bruise on the heel. You know, you stub your heel, you stub your toe. Like That's what the enemy did in all of his best trying to keep our Savior in that grave. But then Jesus, hello everybody, what's the crushing of the head? It's today, it's Easter, it's a risen Savior back from the dead, alive and able to do all things, amen? And so we know that our Savior in this battle is victorious. Read Mark 16, a few verses here. Mark says, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed don't be alarmed he said you are looking for jesus the nazarene who was crucified he's risen he is not here and i love this see the place where they laid him he's not like hiding in front of the tomb like don't look in don't peek he's really in there somewhere right he's like you can look you can come and see but go tell his disciples and peter he's going ahead of you into galilee there you will see him just as he told you and that's exactly what happened they went a whole bunch of the followers of jesus come together it says that 500 of them all at one time saw jesus they hugged him he made the disciples breakfast they touched the nails holes in his hands like this was a physical jesus this wasn't like a big hallucination that 500 people had at the same time this wasn't visions this wasn't like a spiritual version of jesus no this was risen jesus back from the dead. Now, if you're here today and you're going, yeah, but I really struggle to believe that kind of stuff, man. I, I don't know about that kind of stuff. Remember before I said I have compassion on people who have been through anxiety and depression because I've been through it? Well, I have compassion on people who struggle to believe too because that was me for a while. And for several years of my life, I had to really explore this. If I'm going to get up on a stage every Sunday and tell people Jesus can be trusted, I'm going to make sure Jesus can be trusted. And so I spent years of my life just searching this out. So if you're here today going, I don't know if I buy all this stuff, I'd love to talk with you, love to have coffee, love to connect, ask questions, talk, bounce stuff off one another. Also, I would say that on our website and in our app, we have a 10-part series called the Evidence Series. It's 10 weeks, over six and a half hours of content where we really dug down deep into how we know Jesus is alive and can be trusted. And so I'd love to offer either of those things to you. But some of us today just need to go ahead and get this all dealt with in our mind and write not even close over this idea that the battle, Jesus versus Satan, is a close one. Last one, our sin excludes us from a relationship with God. Some of us are going, I know my performance won't save me, but I'm pretty sure my sin will exclude me from a relationship with God. Listen, our sin should exclude us from a relationship with God, but God's just so good to us. I want to read a quick scripture here with you. And it's Psalm 103. And I want you to just, we're going to say amen together after verse 10 because we just have to. It's that great, okay? So verse 10, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Amen, right? So we'll just start right there. What an amazing God that we have. But I want you to look for for something in these next two verses. Everybody say immeasurable. I want you to see two immeasurable things in the next two verses, okay? Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. 
So that's the first immeasurable thing. How high the heavens are above the earth. You could get on the building, you could get into a plane, you could eventually take a rocket ship. You will never be able to measure how high the heavens are above the earth because it's immeasurable. And God says, that's how much I love you. It's immeasurable. You can't measure my love. The second immeasurable thing we see here, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So you can start in the east as far as you want to go and keep measuring west, measure west, west you know you can measure east to west on long island you can measure east to west on the outer banks that you could probably throw a stone from one side to the other of it right you can measure certain things but you will never find how far how much further west is than east it's never like okay i'm finally at the end of west and now i'm fully east and like you just can't measure that it just keeps going and so god has removed your sin from you that part that far and everybody look at me real quick here's the problem for some of us today even though we know our sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west, some of us rented ourselves a little speedboat and we jumped in and we're going west trying to find that sin that God removed from us so we can continue to carry it for whatever reason. Some of us are going, I know it's gone, but I'm going to go grab it again and just hang on to it for a while. Have you ever been hiking and you have a backpack on and when you get to the top of the mountain, you take the backpack off, but you still feel like you're wearing the backpack for some reason? Or you ever wear a hat all day long and you take it off and then you go to grab it later at night and it's not there? That's what happened with my hair, by the way. <laughs> but it's like I, I still feel it. That's some of us. Like, it's gone. It's gone. On Friday night at the Good Friday service, we practiced this beautiful thing together where we just closed our eyes and we imagined casting the worst of our worst sin onto Jesus. And if it's on him, it means it's not on us anymore. And so some of us just need to know that our sin does not exclude us from a relationship with God, not even close. And some of us just need to stop hunting for what Jesus has already freed us from. He wants us to continue to walk in the freedom. And some of us have people in our lives that remind us of stupid things that we've done in our past. But I think the person we see in the mirror is the person that does that the most. God wants us to walk in such freedom. And so I want to encourage you to learn to write not even close over this idea that our sin excludes us from a relationship with God. Our performance saves us, not even close. Jesus alone saves. God can't relate to our suffering. Oh, he can so much to the point that we can't relate to his. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was in a Nazi prison camp, and he wrote these words, only the suffering God can help. Who's going to come help me? Who's going to come help? Who's going to help me? The God who sits high on his cloud, on high on his throne, but has no idea what suffering is, who has no idea what a prison cell is, or the one who's been in the prison cell, the one who knows exactly what suffering is. You know, again, we sometimes hear that all roads lead to heaven. There's only one who came to walk in your shoes and give his life for you and me. So he gets our suffering. The battle of Jesus versus Satan is a close one. No, it is decisively one. Jesus isn't going to lose it. He's not going to just squeak out a win. It's all in his hands. Our sin excludes us from a relationship with God, not even close. Years ago in the old building, um, my son, who's now 19, came up on stage with me, probably about nine years old, 10 years old at the time. And I had our worship pastor, Andrew. I said, I said just duct tape Cade to me as I'm preaching the end of the message. And the message was on Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And so as Cade was being duct taped to me, I said, Cade, the day may come where you grow up and you crash the car or you come home with a bad grade or you make a bad decision or you come home and tell us horrible news. You're my boy. You're, you're stuck to me. <laughs> I'm stuck to you. Nothing can separate you from my love. 
And that's the reality of our God, is that our sin doesn't exclude us from our relationship with God, though it should. And Kate and I kind of stood there, and we were really stuck together. Like at the end of the prayer, I remember we just kind of like walked like this off stage together because we were that close. Is that how you picture your relationship with Jesus? Are you that connected to him? And is he that connected to you even when it's the worst of your worst? You know his love for you? And maybe you're like, oh, I don't have a dad that loves like that. Or I don't have a mom. Or I'm not a dad or mom that I don't feel like I have that relationship with my kids or whatever. Okay. But that's the perfect love of God for you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Not even your own sin. That's what he came to take. He loves you so incredibly much. Don't let these things or anything keep you from a relationship with God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to think and pray today about putting your trust in him. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a minute if you want to put your trust in him. If you don't want to do that yet and you're not quite sure about all this stuff yet, I would love for you to keep coming back here. If you don't like our church, I can get you to a great church on the island. We have so many awesome friends. Maybe you live a little far. We'll get you to an awesome church where you can explore, ask questions, and grow in your faith. But I pray that today isn't the only day we see you until Christmas or next Easter because God wants a relationship with you, and it should be the most important thing in your life. But I want to lead you in a prayer in just a minute, and I want to lead us all in a few prayers as we kind of pray through these categories in just a minute. But I just encourage you today to think about this. Everything Satan tried to do to keep us from God failed. And everything you and I have done to keep us from God failed. Not even close. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gifts that you give us, Lord. And I pray today that our hearts would be encouraged. And I pray today that we would just run to you and cling to you, God. So don't tune my voice out. Would you pray with me about a few things? First off, for those of you here today who are like, oh no, I think my performance saves me. Would you just surrender that to God and fall into the loving arms of God as he loves you through your scale shifting and all the stuff you try to do, all the equations you've tried to add up throughout your life. Would you just come to him today? Just just thank God. Take a deep breath. Let all that go and say, Jesus, save me. Save me. I can't keep it perfectly. I haven't. I never will. No one has but you. Jesus, save me. If you're here today and you just feel like God doesn't get your suffering, would you run and fall into the arms of a Savior who's walked in your shoes, who gets everything you felt? If you're here today and you're not sure about this whole battle, and does Jesus really exist, Satan and all this, man, would you just come to him? You have victoriously risen from the dead. It is a historical fact that you have come and transformed the course of humanity through what you did on Easter. If you're here today and you're thinking, I'm excluded from a relationship with Jesus, or if you're a Christian who's on that speedboat hunting for the stuff Jesus already removed, if you're feeling on your back and feeling on your head for that hat and that backpack that's no longer there, oh man, would you just allow the Lord to give you such freedom? Would you say, Jesus, just let me walk in the freedom that is actually mine. Let me walk free of the guilt and shame that I just beat myself up over. And if you're here today thinking you're excluded and the building's gonna catch on fire, you see in today the grace and the mercy of God who loves you so much 
you want to put your trust in Jesus today, I encourage you to pray with me now. Just pray something like this, just quietly and simply, Jesus, be my Savior. Thank you for this amazing gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy and love. Thank you that I'm yours. Would you show me what it is to follow you, to know you, to love you? So everyone keep your eyes closed for a second. Listen, you don't have to do this next part because what's about to happen isn't what saves you. It's your connection with Jesus, your trust in him that saves you. You just had a a beginning of a conversation with him. But if anyone would like to, so I can be praying for you this week and we could celebrate a little bit of what God's doing, I'd love for you to just look me in the eyes real quick if you prayed that prayer for the first time today. Did anybody pray that for the first time? That's amazing. Awesome, awesome. I see you. Yeah, that's amazing. So cool. Anybody else today? I'm just going to kind of keep cool. Love it, love it. Young and old. So cool, so cool. Anybody else today? Awesome. God, we just thank you for all those that put their trust in you, whether they looked at me or not. That's not what it's about. Thank you, God. It's about looking to you. Bless them. Keep them. Encourage them. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for all of us. Thank you that you are risen.